This is an amazing opportunity now for, for all of us. My life's been paused, basically. My, every, all of our lives are on the pause button. And it's now looking at the situation before my life was put on pause and looking at certain aspects of it and going, when I press play in next week or the week after, the week after that, whenever it is, but when I press play, was I really happy with what I was doing before I pressed pause? And if I wasn't, this is an amazing opportunity to start thinking about what else you want to do with your life when you do press that play button again. Hi, my name is Rongan Chatterjee. Welcome to episode 107 of Feel Better, Live More. So how are you all doing? Are you feeling good? Well, I'm actually doing pretty well today. And the sun that is shining here in the UK is certainly helping my moods. Now, if you're a regular listener, you'll know that over the past couple of weeks, I'm releasing a lot of follow-up conversations with previous guests on my show. In fact, many of these repeat guests are firm favourites with you all. We've had Johan Hari, Gabor Mate, and now on today's show, we have the amazing John McAvoy. Now, one of the reasons for this is because I've already got an existing relationship with previous guests. And because of the current situation in society and because I have to do these conversations now over technology, I think it's easier for me and my guests to quickly build up rapport and connection because we're not speaking for the very first time together. Now, you may remember today's guest from my New Year's Day episode this year, where I went through in detail his phenomenal story. Now, to recap, although he's still a young man, John's story is worthy of a Hollywood movie. He's nearly been shot dead twice by the police, was given a life sentence at the age of 24 years old, has been face-to-face with some of the most dangerous people in society. And yet, despite that, he has completely transformed his life. He's now a free man, a Nike-sponsored athlete, and spends his time trying to help and inspire others. So why have I spoken to John again so soon after our first episode? Well, it's super simple, really. Many of us are struggling to adjust to a new way of life. Social distancing, only being allowed out once per day, and not being able to travel for work or for pleasure are proving quite challenging for so many of us. So I think there is incredible value to listen to people who have previously been locked up, especially in solitary confinement. How did they cope and what lessons can we learn from them? You see, when John was only 19 years old, he spent pretty much 24 hours a day in a 12-foot by 8-foot prison cell for an entire year. And so probably knows a thing or two about coping in isolation. On this podcast, John shares what he learned from his time in solitary confinement, lessons which we can all apply in our lives, especially right now. He explains how he maintained a sense of control over his life by keeping himself mentally and physically fit, and while keeping a routine, staying active and keeping ourselves present in the moment are more important now than ever before. John's experience is going to help teach you how to not only survive isolation, but how to thrive in it as well. And John invites us to think of our current situation as an amazing opportunity to reevaluate our lives and remind ourselves of what is truly important. If we look at what John achieved and what John learns from being isolated in prison, imagine what we can all achieve in our own lives. As John says, this could be your moments of growth. 
Finally, John shares his invaluable top tips that I know are going to help so many of you bring a sense of calm and control into your lives. John is one of the most genuine, humble, and authentic individuals I've ever had the privilege of speaking to. Whenever I speak to John, I come out of the conversation a better and more enlightened person. After listening to this, I hope you do too. Now, before we get started, I do need to give a quick shout out to some of the sponsors who are essential in order for me to put out episodes like this one. Athletic Greens continue their support of my podcast. Now, Athletic Greens is one of the most nutrient-dense whole food supplements that I've come across and contains vitamins, minerals, prebiotics, and digestive enzymes. I know many of you are using Athletic Greens as part of your daily routine. You're getting up, you're having your glass of water with Athletic Greens in that's helping you feel as though you are doing something proactive for your health right from the get-go. Now, I do prefer that people get all of their nutrition from food, but I do recognize that for some of us, this is not always possible. So, if you're looking to take something each morning as an insurance policy to make sure that you are meeting your nutritional needs, I can highly recommend it. For listeners of this podcast, if you go to athleticgreens.com forward slash live more, you will be able to access a special offer where you get a free travel pack box containing 20 servings of Athletic Greens, which is worth around £70 with your first order. You can check it out at athleticgreens.com forward slash live more. Now, on to today's conversation. So, John, welcome back to the podcast. Well, it's, what, what's happened since we last spoke to each other? It's just gone crazy, hasn't it? Yeah, it has gone crazy. And, you know, we were just chatting, weren't we, before I pressed record on Skype that, you know, in the past, I've always insisted on doing pretty much all of my conversations face-to-face. Uh, you know, it took us about a year to, to do the first one because, we, you know, we wanted to do it face-to-face, whereas we got this sorted out in a few days because we're doing it over Skype, which I think... <laughs> You know, and I mean, how's it for you? What's it like doing it over Skype? Um, I, I always, I would rather this sort of human interaction of being in the same room with people, like, like like we were just talking about before we come on air. When you sometimes when you use other platforms and you have like group meetings, I kind of really struggle a bit because I, I I like the human connection of being in the same room with someone and being able to read their body language. And I think it's obviously the the flow of the conversation is a lot easier as well when you're actually with someone in the same room. Um, so yeah, it's, it's sort of, I'm having to get used to this now because this week I've already had about four or five meetings via, um, different sort of applications, group meetings. And, um, it's, it's a bit hard cause, cause I talk so much. So I sort of over talk people and then I go really quiet for ages. And then as I go to talk, someone else talks over me. So I'm starting to sort of get used to it now, a little bit of the delay and so, so on and so forth. Yeah, it's it's funny you say that. I mean, very similar with me, really. It's um, I think there's a lot of benefits that have come about so far. I've realized that I can have team meetings over Zoom really, really quickly. And you don't have to get everyone together in the same place. So I think I've learned that there are some benefits. Um, I interviewed Johan Hari for this podcast uh, uh, last week. That's just gone live. And um, there was a delay throughout the whole call. So I'm always, you know, trying to predict when he's about to end. So there's not a huge pause there, which is which is clearly suboptimal. But hey-ho, you know, the world has changed and the way we, the way we do things has got to change as well. Um, so John, the reason we wanted to get back together and chat, and we would always said we were going to do a part two, but I think we certainly imagined we'd do part two in very different circumstances to this. Yes, yes. Um, 
you've been putting out quite a few interesting Instagram posts recently about how we can manage isolation. And, you know, for people who've not heard that first conversation we did, which was episode 91, and and for anyone listening to this or watching it on YouTube, if you have not seen or heard that conversation I did with John that I released on New Year's Day, I would really, really encourage you to do it. It's absolutely, without doubt, one of the most impactful episodes I've ever released on the show before. People are still retweeting it now, three months after we released it. And John, I think we should share that we've you know, been working hard on this. We've managed to get it now put onto prison radio, haven't we? Yes, um, which I'm eternally grateful to you for. Um, just to give you like a little bit of context to, to listeners right now that are suffering um or we've all we're all in the same situation like we're all sort of self-isolating to to a degree at home we might be going outside and doing an hour's exercise so on and so forth but today currently in the uk prison system um it's very concerning because these men women um and children are being locked up for 23 24 hours a day um there's already a huge problem within the prison service with mental health um and now suddenly people being locked up completely and not going out to work or they're not unless it's essential work within the prison like the laundry or catering like cooking um everyone else is basically locked up and and i was really like i was really concerned because some of the um some of the people reaching out to me throughout the prison system are basically saying to me is there anything you can do to help us um with, with providing some sort of some sort of inspiration something to give these men and women and children in prison to let them know that it's 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 gonna they're in a bad situation at the moment they, they they're now in basically like segregation and how can this eighty thousand plus men how can we give them this little bit of hope and um and straight away what coming to my mind was our podcast and our conversation um and i'm eternally grateful to you and your team for being able to be so accommodating to to break down that podcast into sort of 55 minute chunks because obviously prison technology and, and the way that technology works in prison is, 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 is very outdated um, and they haven't got access to the internet. So obviously you had to think outside the box a little bit to be able to make that become a reality. And, and, and I thank you so much for, and your team that put that podcast together, which has allowed it to be played within the prison system. Because as I said, there's going to be a lot of people currently locked up. Um, and, 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 I, and I actually think a lot of them don't really understand the severity of what's going on outside from what I'm hearing back. They don't really understand um, because, again, they're in a cocoon bubble in prison anyway. Um, but all they know is now that they're basically put in segregation. Like they're locked up for 23 or 24 hours a day with, with very limited amount of time outside their cells for exercise. So I just wanted the podcast to, to go inside the prison service because I genuinely believe that it could, it could give a little bit of hope to people that the situation you find yourself in, it's what you make of it and how what you take out of that situation. And you can turn it into a positive because I kind of made my life by being locked in a room on my own um, in complete isolation. And, and, and I'm, I'm the person I am today because of that experience. And, and, and I believe you can take positives out of this very sort of what can be perceived to be a very negative situation. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, John. Uh, there's so much to touch on there. I mean, first of all, it is my absolute pleasure to try and get that in a, in a form for prison radio that's going to work because the whole point of everything I do on this podcast is to help people, I try to give out information that people are going to find inspiring and help improve their lives. And, you know, we've always wanted to get this into the prison service. And now 
particularly with the new self-isolation that is also impacting people in prison, you know, we will do anything we can to actually get this content out there. And, and, you know, even if just one or two people hear it and it changes their perspective on the next few weeks and months ahead, well, that will have been worth it. So, you know, there's, there's no problem there at all. I mean, John, when you were mentioning prison there, you said men, women and children. And I think for many of us listening, you know, many, many people listening to this now will possibly not have thought about prisoners at the moment. So they will be thinking about their own lives um, and how are they going to manage with their work, the fact that their kids might be home, now they have to homeschool and work, all kinds of things. And that's understandable. You know, people are looking to themselves initially and going, well, what does this mean for me? How can I change things? But but I was really struck there when you said men, women and children. And you know, the women and children piece, in particularly children in prison. I mean, I mean, that's quite, for, for people who don't think about that, that is, it's really quite striking to think of these guys being isolated as well in prison. And I guess sometimes we don't even think about children being in prison. Mm. It, it is, again, um, you, uh, I often say this in life, you only know what you know, and, and, and a lot of society doesn't really get to see um, unless you really search out for it, you don't really know the numbers like um, yesterday. And you have to praise the MOJ for this. They released 35 pregnant women from prison yeah. um, because of the risk to to, to, to um, pre-born children. Um, so, they, again, they deserve praise for that. They've, they've allowed those women um, to be released from prison because of the risk of, of the virus affecting them whilst they're in prison. Um, but children in particular are very vulnerable Um um, and again, some of them have done very bad stuff and they, and they deserve to, to be in prison. Um, but they are still children and you can't just give up on them um, because I always say I turned my life around and I did something with my life and I achieved what I've done. And everyone has the potential to do that. And, and, and I felt from my own set of circumstances that I have a moral obligation because I've been through the journey I've been through and been in prison and I've come out and I've been successful, I have to reach back inside that prison and help young people um, and show them the, the light, that there, there's, a, there's another opportunity for them to better their lives and be better people. And, and if they can listen to the podcast that we've done, um, I'm currently working on sending 3,000 books so every single young offender in the country gets to read my book in segregation because that's where my life was born out of. Like when I was locked in that cell for 24 hours a day for, for, for a whole calendar year, um, that situation made me the man that I am today. So uh, it's, it's, I just want to try to put as many seeds in these young men's minds in this, in this what's a very challenging time for young people in that situation and just show them that even though it might feel very dark at the moment, it's the choices and decisions you choose to make now that could make help you better your life. Like it's, it's the perspective. It's, it's keeping yourself in the moment. I I think that's very important when, yeah. when i was in prison um and i was locked up uh, I, I was in there for 10 years in total and vast majority of, of that sentence i was in 24 hour a day lockup which i'd done that for a whole calendar year where i didn't leave the cell once or i was locked up for 23 hours a day or 22 and a half hours a day so the vast majority of the sentence i was kind of locked up on my own um because I, I wasn't sharing a cell with anyone but I made decisions whilst I was in that situation and, and, I, and I made choices which, which allowed me to grow as a person because I wanted, I wanted something else for my life. And, and I, and I realised even though I was in a situation where you could perceive it as being wasted time, 
I didn't want to waste that time and I went to make the most of it. So I chose to read books to educate myself. And then I started exercising because it, it made me feel alive. At the time, I didn't really understand the exercise and the effects it had on my mental health, but it had a profound impact on my mental health um, because it got me through a very challenging situation in my life. And that's why I am so adamant. And I and since this whole situation has um, occurred, everything I've trying to, every message I've been trying to put out through social media and, and through friends that I know is to is to stay active. Um, yeah. My top my my top tip is to, is to keep a routine as well um try to follow a structure every day don't start going to bed four hours later than you normally used to go into bed don't start waking up three hours later than you normally used to waking up keep that routine um, and keep yourself in the moment and stay present don't think this could go on for five months it could go on for a year because you watch the news sometimes and and, and I, I try to limit my news um intake because you're just getting this reinforcement of negativity constantly. And, and some people are saying it might go on for a month. Another person goes, it might go on to 2021. And all I'd say is about managing yourself in the present and keeping yourself in the present and what you're doing every single day. Yeah. And that's what helped me get through a very challenging situation. Yeah, John, look, there's so much to, to talk about here. And, and this is the exact reason why we wanted to have this conversation was because, you know, you were in isolation and now it seems like the whole country or a huge part of the country has been also put in isolation. And so the lessons that you learned about yourself are possibly things that we can all learn from now, because for many of us, we've never faced anything like this before. I think probably for most of us, we've never faced anything like this. So just to really, you know, just to, just to summarize again for people, uh, John's got an incredibly inspirational story. He, he had two life sentences. He was locked up at a very young age. And through finding sport and through changing your mindset, you managed to rehabilitate yourself. You're now a free man. And now you're uh, helping, you know, inspire generations of people here in the UK, all around the world with your, frankly, your incredible story. So that's the kind of top line here. Now, when we went into your story, we went into it in a lot of detail. There were a few transition points. There was one particular moment when you were locked up, when I think one of your friends who uh, you saw on your prison TV had died in Holland, I think, from recollection. So that was a big turning point for you. So what I really want to understand is, so you were in a prison cell and you said for the majority of the time you were in solitary confinement. So you only found physical activity in a big way after you had that sort of life awakening event when your when your one of your best buddies died and you saw that on TV. So I wanna I wanna sort of tap into what happened before that, before you found physical activity, you were also experiencing confinement, right? Is that, is that yeah, yeah so yeah that, like so so when so when I when I first went to prison, because there's there's two parts of that story. There's there's when I went to prison when I was a young man, um when I was 18 years old, that's where I was in segregation for a year. Um when I, when I was locked in that room for 24 hours a day, um, I, I had very limited um, access to resources. So, like, I had a bunk bed, I had a chair, I had a cardboard table, um, and that, that was it. Um, I, I, I had no other resources to access, really. Um, so when I was in that situation, I had to make decisions um, how I was going to mentally cope with being a young man. Cause at this point I was like 19 years old. How was I going to get myself through this situation? And, and someone said to me, 
when you go to prison, you don't live, you just exist. And I needed to feel alive. Now, I wasn't physically active as a young person. I didn't really engage in sport whatsoever. But when I was in this cell and I was locked up, I, 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 I just started exercising one day. I, I don't know what, I didn't do it for aesthetics. I didn't do it to be an athlete. Um, but I started doing these circuits and I was so, so unfit um, and overweight and unhealthy. I did that unhealthy lifestyle, taking drugs. I was probably about two or three stone overweight. I was drinking and I was a teenager, but I was living that very typical criminal lifestyle, hanging out with really old criminals. And so when that was the, my starting point. But when I was in that prison cell, um, like I said, I made a decision in that cell that I was going to try to, 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 to better myself. Um, I didn't, I didn't want to be rehabilitated at this point. I didn't want to change, but I needed to feel alive because I was literally locked in a, in a 12 by eight foot cage, concrete coffin, as I used to like to call it. And, and I, and, and I thought, how can I get through this? So exercising and reading were the two things and, and the access, the only things I had and, and having control as well of my body, I still had control of my body. So when I was locked in that cell, the only thing I could control wasn't my environment. I could only control myself. It was my, my, my physical being. So that's what sort of got me to start training. And, 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 and like I said in the, the, the first podcast, I used to do press-ups, burpees, step-ups. And I used to put my chair, prison chair, to the end of the cell. So I these tiny two little vents in the window to let a bit of fresh air come through into the cell. So when I used to do the step-ups, you used to get a bit of breeze onto your face. And at the beginning, I just used to do like 10 of each exercise. Then the next day, it was 20, and I just kept building it up. And eventually, I'd do 1,000 of each exercise. And I'd wake up in the morning, I'd do my cell circuit, and then for the rest of the day, I'd read books. And the librarian used to bring books around. Um, and then I got released. And when I got released and I was back into society, again, like I said, I didn't want to change. I didn't want to be rehabilitated. I just got straight back into old habits. So, um, so John, that's super interesting for me that – because there are two parts of this story. So part one is you're a young, you know, you're 18, 19 years old. You don't want to, you know, you've you've been caught, you're in prison, you're going to serve your time, get out and get back to your criminal life. So at that time, your mindset was simply about how do I get through this? How do I maintain my sanity? How do I come out the other end so I can get back to doing what I was doing before? So that is very different from afterwards. But but what, what, what I find... What's really interesting when I hear that, and I don't know if you saw at the weekend, um, Terry Waite wrote an mm. article in the press. Um, so Terry Waite, for people who are listening to this who don't know, I think people in the UK will probably be familiar with the story. I don't know if listeners around the world will also know him to the same degree, but he used to be a hostage negotiator. And he was caught. I think he was caught in Beirut and um, while he was trying to negotiate, and then he was taken hostage himself. And I think he was in... I think for about four to five years, he was kept hostage. Now, he said in that article um, that basically he could go to the toilet once a day. He had no books, no music. He didn't see another human being, I think, for four to five years. And he was sharing some of the things that he did to get himself through. And, And what was really interesting when I heard that and when I read that it really changed my perspective on my own situation. I thought, wait a minute, Terry Waite has come out the other side. He didn't see another human being. He had no books. He had no music. He had no Netflix. He had no internet, yeah. right? He could only go to the toilet once a day. I think most of us, if we compare ourselves to Terry, 
we'd be like, actually, this is quite a luxurious existence if you compare it to Terry Waits and what he got through. And yeah, he was mentioning the importance of mindset. He was mentioning the importance of routine every day. You've got to keep a routine. And so I just wanted to add that there, that perspective is everything, right? Because we can feel quite down on ourselves. And I am not at all underestimating how scared people are feeling, um, how worried people are. Some people have literally lost their jobs, their businesses, their livelihoods overnight. I am not making light of that. But I think a bit of perspective for many of us where we see John's, sorry, Terry Waite's situation, but also your situation, John, where, you know, as you said, it probably, I don't know, what do you, when I, when I talk to you about Terry Waite's situation, how do you, what does that do to you? What, what do you think? Because it sounds as if that was more severe than yours even. Is that, is that yeah, fair to say? That, that 100%. And that, that again, it's, it's perspective. It's like, um, it's like the situation that we're currently going in at the moment. Like, I don't feel sorry for, for my situation um, because we're doing this podcast now. Um, I'm, I'm able to train upstairs in my house in my turbo train. I've got a round machine here. Um, and to me, I've, my perspective, because I've been, I've been segregated and isolated in a, in a, in a box with, with nothing, this isn't that bad. Like I'm able to go out once a day. I'm able to go to the shop and buy groceries and come back. But there, there are other people that are in a very, very far, and I far worse situation than me. And I feel so sorry for them. Like the people you've just mentioned, the people losing their jobs, the people that are stressed out, the people that have never been in a situation like this before and struggling in a lot. And, 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 and that's what makes me feel really sad about the current situation. And I would honestly say to every person listening to this situation, like it is about perspective and there are a lot of people in a far worse situation than us around the world that are dealing with this and people in India and in Africa and in the Middle East. And they're in a very, very, very bad situation. Um, and, and we are very fortunate in the West that if you're listening to this now and you've got an iPhone and you've got technology, we're very fortunate in that regard that we, we can afford hand sanitizer and we've got a very good national health service that are going to sort of help and look after the vulnerable in the week. But what I've gone through this journey recently with, with what's happening, my frustrations really become about what can I do more? Like I want to help people. I want, I want to give back and I want to be a service to people. And, and I, and I, and I would say this to listeners now, like you, you don't need to be a multimillionaire football player to help people. You can help your next door neighbors. Um, and like yesterday, for instance, like my, my bin, like, I don't like calling them that my, the waste disposal guys that um, clear all the rubbish up outside the house, they pulled up outside and, and I was walking up the road and, um, and I, I saw them coming up and I, and I waved and they waved and I had 40 pound in my pocket. And and I went to go up to him and I could see he got a little bit startled because of the two meter and I was going to respect him. And I put it in the windscreen and I said, that's for you and, and the guys to buy yourself a coffee or a couple of beers once this is all over. But I appreciate what you're doing for me and what you're doing for the community. Like I appreciate that. And, and it made me feel so good to know that I made that man for a little bit special for that moment. And those guys in that dustbin trap. And because I'm privileged to be able to do that. And I, and I do believe a lot of people are very fortunate and very privileged to have resources to be able to give back. And now, and now this is the time. Like a lot of people say to me, I want to help people. I want to do this and do that. This is our opportunity now to do that. We can give back. We can be of service to other people that are less fortunate than us. And you, you, and, it, and that, again, you don't have to be a multi-millionaire football player. You could just help them, the old lady next door, the, yeah. and the little old lady that lives up the road and, and give back and just help them pick up their groceries, send a put a note for their letterbox and go, this is my phone number. If you need to speak or talk, I'm here for you. 
Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think this is an amazing opportunity for people that are in a very fortunate situation and, and, and are affluent or they've got privilege for now to be able to reach back and help members of the community but, and lift people up. Yeah, yeah, John, I mean, amazing. And, and, and it doesn't surprise me at all that you're doing that. You're, you're such an incredible human being. You're, you're so humble. There's such... Um, there really is a desire. I got that, you know, I, I sat a meter away from you for, for two to three hours last time. And then yeah, I think you joined us for some food in my home afterwards with my wife and kids. And I, I really got to know you and, and uh, you know, you're so genuine in what you're trying to do. And you really, you know, you've never wanted sympathy. You've said, you know, you made your choices, you live with them, you're just making different choices now. And, you know, it's it's very, very inspiring the way you are looking at your life and the way you're moving on and you're taking full responsibility for what you did and you're moving on, you make a different choices. But what you said about not needing to be a multimillionaire footballer, I think that's so important. As we're recording this, John, it's a Wednesday, uh, I, on my Instagram, launched a seven-day kindness challenge on Monday, uh, which was inspired by last week's podcast with David Hamilton, which is all around kindness and how uh, and how how good it is for our health, how it helps us lower stress levels, improves our relationships, makes us happier, can even reverse aging. Some studies have showed being kind. But what was really interesting is that David shared some research by saying, if you, if an individual does an act of kindness to another individual, over the course of a day, that can spread very quickly to 125 more people. And really making the case, and we recorded this you know, well before coronavirus uh, sort of became you know, global news, and this whole idea that kindness is contagious mm. and the smallest acts of kindness, you you know, even if we're privileged, even if we're not privileged, if we're feeling really bad and really low at the moment, you know, doing a small act of kindness for somebody, whether it's your next door neighbor, whether it's, you know, saying hi to the, you know, the, the bin collectors and saying, hey guys, really, really appreciate you. Um, whether it is, you know, going through your phone book and just going through it random and sending people voice messages or text messages you've not spoken to in years. As you said, John, it's not just about that other person. You felt better when you gave that 40 quid to the bin collector. And mm. I would say for people, anyone listening to this right now, if you do an act of kindness immediately after this podcast, no matter how small it is, you're going to feel better. You're going to feel like the world's a little bit of a better place. Um, so I think that's really, really important. And we're all in this together. We're all in it together. Everyone like now, we're, we're kind of, we're all equal into regards like we've, we've all had our freedoms restricted. Um, and, and, and this is a time now for, for us to come together as one and help each other. We, we're all in the same boat to, to a degree. We're all in the same situation now. And I, I think this is such an important moment for, for this country. And I think for the world, um, cause I do think, I, I think there will be positive change from this. I, I, I had a really interesting conversation um, last week with a friend of mine that works for a company in London and he was very well paid job. Um, he, he's got a one year old baby and he was in the park with her on a Wednesday afternoon and, and he hasn't experienced that for since she's been born because he's been at work all the time and it's made him evaluate his own life. And, and I think this is an amazing opportunity now for, for all of us, even myself, like I've even done it, my life's been paused, basically. My, every, all of our lives are on the pause button. And it's now 
looking at the situation before my life was put on pause and looking at certain aspects of it and going, when I press play in next week or the week after, the week after that, whenever it is, but when I press play, was I really happy with what I was doing before I pressed pause? And if I wasn't, this is an amazing opportunity to start thinking about what else you want to do with your life when you do press that play button again. Do you want to carry on doing the same job or do you want to do something else? And I, I think this is such an amazing opportunity for all of us to take stock of our lives and use this time, um, like doing things that you've always wanted to do. If you want to speak another language or take up a hobby, like you've got the time now to do that and, and, and invest in yourself. Um, like I invested in myself whilst I was in prison. I started exercising that then that made me fitter. I started reading that it, it, it helped me, um, with, with my education. I, I learned, I learned different things about different cultures and different lives and, 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 and that's benefited me massively, the person I am today. So this situation, outwardly, you could perceive it as being very negative, but actually this could be your moment of growth. Like you could get so much out of this situation to move forward with the rest of your life and, and leave life that you've always wanted yeah. to leave off the back of it. Yeah, for sure, John. And I think that is something I've been reflecting on loads. And I love that whole thing about your life being on pause. And I guess it's very much like, you know, the DVD that was playing in your life. Do you want that same DVD to continue? Or do you want to take it out of the player and get a brand new DVD and pop that in? And, and I think all of us, you know, when, when I am at home um, and my kids are here, you know, you mentioned routine. One thing I've really started to block off in my diary is they, they, they've got a homeschooling program from their school at the moment. So they're, you know, we're not being, frankly, I'm not that bothered about them following every aspect of that. I think, you know, there's there's far more important things going on at the moment. So I think, yeah, follow a benefit if, they, if they're getting something out of it. But if they're not, okay, there's other things they can be doing. They also can take this as an opportunity to paint, to, you know, to practice monkey bars, uh, for example. You know, again, I'm lucky that I've got some monkey bars in the back garden, some songs that they can play on. Um, but but it's, it's fascinating for me that I've realised, we were chatting over dinner last night, my wife, myself and the kids, talking about the situation. We were saying, hey guys, how are you finding this? And they both had a big smile on their face and giggled to each other. I said, what, what are you liking? And, you know, we said, are you enjoying being at home at the moment? And they had a big smile on their face. And I think they're loving the fact that, you know, daddy can't travel at the moment. He can't go to London and do these overnights when he's away. And so like, daddy's around for breakfast and dinner every day. And I'm also enjoying seeing them all the time and thinking, wow, do I want my life to go back to the way it was before that, well, maybe some aspects, maybe not. You know, it's and, and it's going to be individual for all of us. We've all got to figure that out for ourselves. There's no one right answer. But I think there is an opportunity for growth for all of us if we're prepared to take it. Um, John, I want to, want to just go back to you in the prison cell for a second, because as you said, there were two parts of that story. Part one, you've explained, you know, you're a kid, you didn't want to... Um, you don't want to change. You just want to get through. And you figured out that you had to exercise each day. And I think read. Is that right? Is that what you spent your time doing the first time yeah. around? Okay. So then you get then you get freed. You get back to your life. And you go back in for the second time. So just to recap, how old were you then? And then what happened that time? Did you Were you better prepared because you'd already done it once? You thought, okay, I know the drill here. I'm just going to do my exercise and my reading and that'll get me through you know talk us through that so when when I went back the second time I was uh 22 years old and um it was a different set of emotions because 
when when I went to prison when I was a when I was a young man when I was basically a kid still I was a teenager it was unknown um I had no I had no fear um I'd never experienced it before it was completely I've never even been arrested by the police so I'll get arrested first time end up going to prison it was all unknown to me but when I got arrested the second time obviously I'd experienced it I'd tasted it I'd spent a year of it in isolation so I knew what was coming so even to the degree that when I got arrested, I remember I was having a car chase and, and I had this voice in my head, like I'm talking to you now, I could hear it in my head and it just repeated the same words, I'm not going back to prison. And I was totally prepared in that moment to die trying to get away from the police because I was so fearful about going back to that situation that I'd been in before. Um, and I, and I remember thinking, I'm not going back to prison, I'm not going back to prison. And obviously, I ended up getting arrested and I got caught. And I remember being face down on the floor and I, I was surrounded by armed police. And it was like a, a road truck had just wiped me out. Like, I knew what was coming. I knew the situation I was going to go back to. I knew I was going to be locked up in a cell again. And I knew I was going back for a lot, lot longer than I did the first time because obviously I re-offended. Um, when I went back to prison this time, everything had completely changed because now I'm, I'm a grown man. I'm 22 years old and the Metropolitan Police made an application to the Ministry of Justice or the Home Office at the time, which was to basically make me um, a double category A high risk prisoner, which is the highest level of security that you can be on in prison in the United Kingdom. So to give you like an uh, sort of some perspective of that. There was in the whole of the prison system, and at that point, I think it was like nearly 90,000 men. Out of 90,000 men, there was 28 men that escape had to be made impossible. And the likelihood of those 28 people trying to escape were, was so severe that, that, that the escape must be made impossible, um, so which basically meant you was then incarcerated in the most draconian environment, which was on a HSU, which is a high secure prison unit in Belmarsh Prison. So it's a prison within a prison um, that got built in the 90s to house the IRA. Um, and obviously, as, as sort of the world moved on and changed, it was predominantly then people that was in there for um, terrorism. Like, you know, the suicide bombers that tried to block the tube in 21-7, um, Sheikh Abu Hamza. And I got basically put on that unit. I got um, the, the, the MOJ and Home Office approved it. Um, the application that police put in because the police said that I had the resources to be able to escape from lawful custody and, and I got put on this high secure prison unit and, and the only way you can explain it is is like um, we used to call it the underground bunker there's there's not much natural light on there it's very claustrophobic when you go out and exercise when you look up at the sky there's so much anti helicopter um, wire um, netting that you can you can see the sky, but it's basically through like a hamster cage. It, it's, it's just dark grey, smells of bleach. Um, and then when I went onto that unit, I knew that was going to be my life for, uh, for for quite a substantial amount of time because I knew I was going to have to wait to go on trial. Um, so straight away, I I went back to my coping mechanism, which was doing my cell circuits, and it and it was reading books. And I was locked up on that unit for two years, um, for 23 hours a day. I was locked up for, on average, I would say, um, just in this very claustrophobic bunker. And and I and I reverted back to type. Like I said, I started doing the cell circuits. I started reading books. Um, 
but again, it's very important for me to keep myself in the moment um, because I knew at this point, I knew I was going to get a long time. I didn't actually realize how long I was going to actually get. But if, if you sit in a situation, you're, you're, you're crossing days off a calendar um, and you start thinking to yourself, I could potentially spend 10 Christmases in this place or 10 summers. And you're looking around at four walls, you would go insane. Like you literally cannot break time down in that format in your mind. Um, because it just seems like it's insurmountable. So, like, so, so what do you, so th- this is super interesting, John. So let's just, let's just go there. So you're in that cell, you're, you're in this prison within a prison, as you say, you know, I can't imagine that whenever you, when you are allowed out for that once a day, um, you know, it's dark, there's heli- anti-helicopter wires everywhere. So you can't even properly see the sky and actually, you know, have that sort of natural feeling that many of us get when we go outside. So, You've already been in isolation once in a different prison, so you're going into that. You know, does it take a little bit of time to get used to it? You know, why I'm asking that question is, you know, as we record this podcast, it is nine to ten days since Boris Johnson gave his evening statement where he basically put UK society on this sort of lockdown. Um, So... You know, there are various stages within that. I think for some people, for the first couple of days, it's a bit of disbelief. It's a bit of resistance then. Um, and then at some point, that turns into acceptance of the new reality, right? And so yeah. what happens for someone like yourself, you know, you knew you were in for a long time. Did you resist initially? Did you go, did you almost disbelieve it? Ah, oh, this is not happening. This is, this can't be happening. This is, oh, something's going to change. Or, or, you know, I'm wondering what we can learn from that for people listening to this right now who are still in disbelief, who are still thinking, this is not really happening. This is going to end this weekend. And then it's just going to be like a bad dream. What can we learn from you in those initial moments? So, I'll give you an example. When, when, when I initially first, so day, day dot, very first day, I went into that the, 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 the HSU prison in Belmarsh the second time I got arrested. Um, for that very first week, I remember the next day when I woke up in that prison, I thought, what was I doing last week this time? And I was outside. And the Wednesday, what did I do last Wednesday? I was outside. And then what ended up happening, when I got to the second week, I, I thought to myself, what was I doing last Monday? Then I was inside. And in Tuesday, I was inside. And what you what was important for me was you do resist at the beginning. Of course you do, um, because you don't want this to be your life, because it, it's not comfortable. It's not nice. Um, you're having things taken away from you you don't want to let go of. It is very important that you come to accept it um, and you come to manage the situation that you're in. Because it, if you don't do that, you're just going to end up driving yourself mad and, and you're not really going to be productive in the situation that you're in because you are in that situation. We're all in that situation. So I think it's about accepting it, which I did. And once I accepted it, it was like, well, how am I now going to cope with the situation? And that's where then I then put things in place, which was the exercising, which was the reading, which was the structure of my own day in that very small space. Well, well that's Let's talk through that structure. I, I agree. Acceptance is, is is the first stage for people. And so if someone's listening to this right now and they're still resisting, as hard as it is, this is the new reality. And the sooner we accept it, the sooner then we can plan. Um, I think Peter Crone, who um, I did a podcast with a few months ago, he said, whenever you have resistance to the way that life is, 
that is dis-ease in the body. There's a lack of ease. And it really it really fits in the circumstance, doesn't it? Anytime you resist the way life is, you're not at peace. You're not, you know, you're fighting. You know, your stress response system is slightly up because you're trying to resist. So the sooner we can accept it and, and make peace with it, then we can come up with a plan. So I think that's a very powerful take home. I'm just taking a quick break in the conversation to give a shout out to the sponsors of today's show. Vivo Barefoot are a minimalist footwear company that I am a huge fan of. I myself have been wearing Vivo Barefoot shoes for years, as have my entire family. They make really comfortable minimalist shoes for adults and for children that are perfect to live your entire life in. Many of us at the moment are trying our best to be more active, although of course it is more challenging with the current restrictions on mingling and movements. However, there is plenty you can do in your own house, in your own garden, if you're lucky enough to have one. And as I record this podcast, we are still allowed to go out for walking or other exercise once per day, as long as we keep our distance. I would highly recommend getting a pair of Vivo Barefoot shoes at the moment to assist you with this. I have seen that they can be incredibly beneficial for people with back, hip and knee pain, as well as general mobility. And I've been recommending them for many years to patients and have seen fantastic results. For listeners of my show, they continue to offer a fantastic discount. If you go to vivobarefoot.com forward slash live more, they are giving 20% off as a one-time code for all of my podcast listeners in the UK, USA, and Australia. And importantly, they offer a 100-day trial for new customers. So if you're not happy, you can send them back for a full refund. You can get your 20% off code by going to vivobarefoot.com forward slash live more. So how do you maintain a routine? What does it look like? So what happens in that cell? Right? Is, there an, is there an alarm clock? Does a prisoner come in the morning? Is it dark? Are there lights? You know, talk us through that. You know, we, m- most of us have got no idea what that feels like. And then also explain to us what was your meticulous routine day after day? So, uh, so this, is, this is how the situation looks like when you're in that environment in particular, in that HSU. Every 15 minutes on the hour, a prison officer, prison officer has to check on you. So for the 24-hour cycle of a day, every 15 minutes, a prison officer has to visually see you. So they, they, you, you've got this little book that follows you around. It's called the book. So when you're category A prisoner in prison, they call it the book. And the prison officer has to sign it and say that he's seen you moving. So obviously, when you go to the part of the day where you're, in, you're asleep, you're abetted, um, they have control of your lights from outside your cell. And they used to have a red light um, at night, which they could switch on from outside. So they would open up your flap on your door. They would switch the red light on. If they did not see your chest moving under the sheets, they would bang the door um, just to startle you a little bit so you'd move. And then they'd see you was in the bed. Then they'd shut the flap and walk off to the next one. So that sort of situation that you're in, in regards to being monitored, um, then how then I had to take control of my own situation was because again, if I wanted to, it was all choice and it was decisions I made. I could have quite easily um, sat in my bed all day, bit slept, just basically slept my prison sentence through, just done really nothing, took drugs, um, drunk illegal alcohol. I, I, I could have quite easily, if I wanted to do that, watch um, rubbish on the TV um, that wasn't going to stimulate me. Um, in regards of learning anything, but I made decisions and choices, and I knew from the first time I was in there that I was going to try to to better myself 
um, and and sort of manage my time. So I would I would wake up in the morning, roughly around six o'clock, off, off from myself. So no one would make me wake up. I, I'd get up actually earlier, and then they would unlock you for breakfast. So I'd get up. I would do my cell circuit, which would normally last for about an hour to ninety minutes. Then I'd go and have breakfast, which you'd go to the little hot plate. They'd walk you to the hot plate, and you'd walk back to your cell. Um, you would then have about 15 minutes to mock out your cell. So normally, like, I, was, I, I used to like to keep it clean. So I would sort of get the broom, I'd take all the dust out, I'd mop it because um, they used to give us some bleach. Mop that, you would have that 15 minutes to do that. Then you would then be locked up from about 9 a.m., half past 8 to 9 a.m. to 12, 12.30. Then they would let you out for lunch. And then you'd get your lunch from the hot plate and you go back to your cell, they'd lock the door, you'd eat your lunch in your cell. And then you would then be allowed out at roughly around half past four or five o'clock for an hour. And at that point, they would let you use the phone or have a shower. Um, and then you'd be locked up to the next day. And that's basically your life for, well, that was my life basically for, for, for nearly two years. Um, now, within that, within that time when I was in that cell and I was awake, that routine of, of doing that exercise in the morning to set me up in a good mind space would then set me up for the rest of the day to basically read books and, and just read. And I'd just I'd read anything I could really. I don't I'm not really into fiction, but um anything that I had access to reading I'd read. And and there was there was a lot of time where I'd be reading about my case before I went on trial. Um but then once I realised that was all over, then it was just basically educational reading um to get me through that yeah. time period. Yeah, John, thanks for sharing that. I mean it, it is I always get this when I speak to you. I'm I'm literally just so absorbed in what you have to say because it's such a foreign life to anything I've heard about, read about, really seen. You know, you may have watched films or, you know, kind of Netflix series on various kinds of things, but but to really speak to somebody like yourself who's been there and done that, it, it truly is incredible. And that there's so many things we can learn from that. I mean, one of those, one of the things you said was, you know, I had an option. I could lie in bed all day if I wanted to. I could watch you know, crappy TV, could get hold of drugs and alcohol. And I, you could pass your time like that. And I think that's an analogy. We also, in self-isolation, depending on our individual circumstances, have a choice. We can stay in our pyjamas till half ten, just watching the news, getting more and more negativity. Um, we can choose to not do anything about the situation. We can choose to just numb ourselves with box sets and Netflix. And again, I'm saying that with compassion, right? I get it for some people. That's what they currently want to do. And that's what they find the easiest path. But I would ask people to really question, is there another choice? Like you said, John, you could have done that, but you chose, no, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm going to get stronger, physically stronger, and I'm going to get mentally stronger whilst I'm in here. And that is a choice that every single one of us at the moment has available to us, even if we're in dire circumstances. Um, again, I'm saying this with compassion, I'm saying this with sensitivity. Even if your life is tough at the moment, we can still make a choice to do those little things, can't we, about our physical health and our mental health that you had to do. Yes, t- totally. Like, I, I, I wouldn't imagine there'd be many people listening to this podcast right now that would have been um, in the situation that I was in, because you could, you could, you could look at it. My situation was fairly hopeless. I literally had no control over my environment. So I didn't have the keys to the door. Um, and it was also, I'm, I'm not sort of trying to, it was self-inflicted. 
I put myself in that situation. I've always accepted forward. John, I'm just going to, I don't want to interrupt you, but fairly hopeless, I think is the biggest understatement of, yeah. of the year. I mean, I, 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 I don't think anyone listening to your, to this podcast right now has faced anything like that. I would imagine. Certainly I would imagine. Yeah, it, 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 it's like, like I, I remember when I come back from court and I, and I got the two life sentences and and like it would, it would. <laughs> I can't express to you how easy it would have been for me to get those two life sentences, um, to basically just give up and go. Because at, at that moment in time, there was a lot of men in life doing life sentences in prison, um, and they and they wasn't getting released from prison. They were just basically they, they were going to probably spend well over the minimum tariff of what the judge gave them to to to, to be in prison. Um, so you've got all that round and you're seeing, you're hearing these horror stories of someone that got life with a minimum tariff for 10 years and they've been in for 25 years. Um, so it can be quite hopeless. And, and there's a big issue within the prison system with people getting life sentences and going past their minimum tariffs. Um, and they become hopeless. Like they, they don't ever know when they're going to get released and they start taking drugs and they become depressed. They develop mental health problems. But I made, again, it was a choice and it was a decision. And I, I thought, I'm not going to let this place beat me. I'm not going to let this situation beat me. Like, I'm going to come out of this um, a, better, a better person. I, I'm, I'm going to do something with my life. And especially when, when my friend died, that was the catalyst. And it made me even more determined. But, like, I'm not, right, and I, and I often say this, I'm not some sort of um, special breed of human being. Because I remember when I got to mind of my tariff, um, so when I served the minimum term that the judge said of the life sentences, so he said I had to serve a minimum of five years off the life sentence before I could be eligible for release. And I can't express to you in words how psychologically challenging what I'm about to tell you is. So when I got to the end of my five years, so when I actually served bang on five years in prison, I remember that night I went to bed. And if I was doing a normal prison sentence, I'd have been released that day, right? So I would have got out that day. They would have walked me to the gate and I'd have been a free man like I was the first time. But when I got to that five years, I remember I went in my cell, I went to sleep, I woke up the next morning and I was still in prison. And I did five years in one day. And then I actually then realized how out of control I was of my situation in the regards of... Um, of being ever being released from prison because now I was at the mercy of the parole board and of the system really like it was up to them when they let me out it didn't matter what I did I I could only um I could demonstrate to them that I was no longer a risk to the public but then obviously now I was in this whole world of bureaucracy where parole boards got delayed reports didn't get put through on time that meant I ended up serving an extra three years longer than I was sentenced to because of all these mistakes that was made through bureaucracy, like people lost reports, parole boards got deferred. And I remember then, psychologically, it got even more challenging for me. And it was more, it was like, when's this ever going to end? But what I did not stop doing, I did not lose hope. And I carried on training, I carried on reading, and I carried on believing that my life would get better. And I, and I, and I, and I was determined that I wasn't going to let the situation overcome me and, and get the better of me. Like I knew eventually I would get out and I yeah. never lost that hope. And I knew my situation would get better. And I didn't want to fall into the trap where other people looked at the situation and it overwhelmed them. And I was like, I know I believe my life will get better and I will come out as a better person and I will be, a, I will have a better life. 
And because of that, that got me through that extra three years um, longer than, than I actually should have ended up serving. Yeah, it's, you know, the, the strong theme coming through is that you were controlling what you could control. Yeah. You know, there was a lot out of your control, but, you know, no one could take your body, no one could take your mind. You had full control of those things. And so you made sure you did things each day that were getting those things stronger. And I think what I feel because I like you, I'm trying to put out positive messages on social media at the moment and on Instagram to really try and hopefully inspire people and keep them upbeat. And yes, which are, you know, when out there, there are some, there are some big challenges, but, but there's a lot we can be upbeat about, I think. It doesn't mean that we're minimizing how serious this is. I think you can be aware of the gravity of the situation. You can take sensible precautions, but you can also look for some of those positives as well. And, you know, controlling what you can control I think is a really, really important um, message for people. Um, did you ever feel, John, like, you know, like you woke up at six and you normally you did your circuits, but did some days did you wake up and go, oh man, this is, man, this is tough. Oh, God, I cannot be bothered today. I'm just going to lie here until they come and get me for breakfast. <laughs> you know, were there days like that? And if so, how did you tackle with that? Yeah, there was days where I just, I just wanted to go home. Like there, there was days I woke up and of course like, I, I would, you would look around and there'd be situations where like the routine in prison would be broken, where there might be an incident and um, you getting out for your breakfast at seven that morning was disrupted and you've been able to use the phone. You could get out the, to use the phone at a certain time that you, you might have been used to doing. Um, but I always remembered how good I would always feel after doing the session after. Uh, and, and sometimes or a lot of the time when, when I did feel like that and I did it, I would always feel much better um, than when I used to feel good in doing it because it made me feel like actually I'm still alive. Um, it makes me feel alive. And I didn't realize about endorphins and, and feeling sort of amazing after exercising and training. But every time I did make the effort and I did do it, I always felt a lot better by doing it. Yeah. And I had, to, I had to remind myself of that. So did, you, did you always do it? Did, did, did you ever I, miss I, it? I, yes, I always did it because I, I, again, I think – it, it, it was it was the routine and breaking the habit, and I thought if I, if I keep in it, this is the thing that it helped me survive this situation. Yeah. And, and again, it gets and it does it makes such a profound difference to your whole outlook of your day. If you yeah, do and, a little bit of activity, and you don't need to be an elite level athlete to experience this. Like if you just do a tiny little bit of exercise, a bit of physical activity, it just means you're walking up and down the stairs or going for a walk to the shops you or having spending that one day of, of exercise allow uh, one hour sorry of a day outside of exercising and training please please do it if it just means you're walking to the shop and back whatever it is just keep being active but keep that yeah. routine and, and keep the routine as much as you possibly can um, brush your teeth in the morning do your hair change into different sets of clothes do what you slept in have a shower do all these things that you normally do in your, in your daily habits and know this isn't going to last forever. It yeah. isn't going to last forever. And that's so, so important. This isn't indefinite. This isn't the rest of your life. This is a very short period of time that this is, we're going to be like this. And eventually it will come to an end and we will have our lives back. And again, it's what you do now in these months or weeks, or maybe even days, you don't know, but you can build a better life for yourself once that play button gets pressed. Yeah. And it's going to, you know, that the, it's short term and long term. It's going to help you feel better in that day. Like if you do 
like if someone's listening to this podcast right now and they're sitting on the sofa at home and they decide at the end of it, all right, you know what, I'm going to go outside or I'm going to have a workout in my front room, whatever it is, you're always going to feel better after that. I mean, no one no one ever said, you know, I really regret going for that walk outside or, you know, I regret that workout I just did. You know, very, you know, it always tends to make us feel better. As you say, it's movement tells our body that we're alive, that actually, oh, we're moving, you know, things are good. Like, you know, it, it, it does something so powerful. And, and as you say, you didn't know about endorphins back then or all the, the science you probably come across now, but frankly, you didn't need to know. You just knew you felt better at the end. And, one one thing I've been saying to people recently in the media, but also on social media, is is about each day. And this is you know this is very much the framework that was in my last book. Um, I'm basically telling people to say, look, each day do something for at least five minutes on your mind, which is very much what you're saying. Each day do something for at least five minutes on your body, which is that sort of movement piece. But I'm also adding in also each day do something for five minutes on your heart. And that's this whole thing about connection and the fact that we are in our houses now or our flats or our apartments and we can't maybe see our friends. You can actually connect with your friends or connect with your community through technology like we're doing. Yeah. You know, yeah. this is this in some ways is going to be what I'm doing for my heart today, because actually seeing you chatting with you, I'm getting so much out of this. This is connection. Would it be better if we were across the table together? Probably, but I've got to say, I'm feeling pretty connected to you at the moment, even though it's through a computer screen. So, and and I genuinely believe, John, like you do, that when you do these small things each day, you send your, you you know, on, on a much bigger level, it you, you're you're telling yourself each day, I am worth it, I am worth giving myself this time each day, and I think in terms of self esteem. Yeah. It is so, so important. Even if you have a bad day or work's been bad or, you know, your internet connection was bad so you couldn't get on a Zoom call with anyone or whatever your version of problems is in your life, when you do these things every day, you're telling yourself, you know what, I'm in control. I've got enough self-respect to do these things each day. And I think that's important, right? Self-respect is a big part of this. Yes, t- totally. And like I said, like keeping that routine and looking after yourself with and presenting yourself in, in, in a nice fashion and just keeping that routine is so, so important. It's so, so important to people because, again, it's very easy to start straying off the path of going to bed really late at night, sleeping in, in the morning, and then your whole day's disrupted. Then you think, oh, do you know what? I can't bother to train now because it's, it's 1 o'clock in the afternoon or 2 o'clock. I can't yeah. be bothered now. It's too late. But it's to keep that routine. If it's following Joe Wicks's training in the morning at nine o'clock which a lot of my friends are doing and i know a lot of teachers are getting their pupils to follow it and stuff if, it, if it's just that or finding finding workout videos online that you you enjoy the training teaching the videos whatever it is make sure at that time you wake up yeah. you have your breakfast and then bang you do it and then you set your day off in a positive fashion yeah i just thought that to one of the other things that terry Waite said in that article when he said Whilst he was uh, initially, he was allowed his own clothes. I think that changed after a few weeks or a few days. But he said, whilst I was allowed them, every night I'd take off my trousers and I would put them under the mattress so they were getting pressed every night. Mm-hmm. And again, that was him showing himself self-respect. I'm gonna iron, you know, I'm gonna effectively iron my trousers so every morning. I could put on freshly pressed trousers. And mm-hmm. he said his guards would laugh at him. Couldn't believe he was doing it. But again. The similar themes I'm hearing from you, John, similar themes I'm hearing from Terry Waite, people like you guys 
who have really dealt with isolation on a different scale to the sort of isolation that we're and many of us are currently experiencing. And there are lots of these similar themes coming out. You know, look after yourself, present yourself properly, have a routine, uh, move your body every day. Um, you know, these are things that we can all learn from. Uh, and I think it's so, so powerful having you on sharing that experience. John, I wonder, were there, in, in all this reading that you did, were there particular books now that you remember reading that had a real impact? I'm sure you read lots and lots of books in all that time. But, but you know just... Yeah, there was there was one there was one that had quite a profound impact on me um, called the secret. Yeah, it's about the laws of attraction and about you you, you project out um, like you're like a TV antenna and what you project out will come back. Um, so if you're a positive person, you attract positivity back into your life. If you're a violent person, you attract violent person violence back into your life, and that had a massive impact on the way my perception was and how I was as a person. So whatever I was, the way I presented myself would be what would come back into my life. So if I, if I, allowed, if I was negative, it would attract negativity into my life and I would attract neg- negative people into my life. If I was a positive person outward, outwardly, I would attract positive people to my life. Hence why um, when, when, when I read that book, I, I'm a great believer in people like Darren Davis, the prison officer that helped me yeah. whilst I was in prison. It was because my attitude changed. Uh, I think Darren saw that. Uh, and and I think that was one of the big key reasons why my life ended up or how it's ended up becoming the way it's become today. Um, that book had a profound impact on me. Yeah. It's, and there was, another, there was another book, a playwright called Jeff Thompson wrote, which was kind of like a, an updated version of The Secret. Um, it was about like um, not reading cer- certain sorts of newspapers, about gossip, not watching um, sort of uh, not, not chat shows, uh, like, I don't, soap operas. Yeah. negativity watching things that, that aren't going to add and not, aren't going to help you grow as a person just it, bringing in negativity into your life bringing into negative thoughts yeah and then I, I still live my life like that today i've not read a tabloid newspaper in over 10 years um i don't watch soap operas because I, I i just try to basically have everything in my life as positive as it can potentially be and not everything sometimes it is hard i i get that it's, it's very hard but you you do have choices about the people you allow into your life and, and the things that you let come into your brain. And okay. I do try to keep that to a minimum. Again, it's the same theme, John. You're controlling what you can control. Mm-hmm. Right? It's a theme that keeps coming up over and over again. And, you know, I agree about the secret. I, I you know, I, I believe stuff like that. When you, you know, you put out positivity, it comes back on you. You attract what you put out. I, you know, that's very much how I try and live my life. And everything I do, I try and be positive. I try and behave with compassion, because I think you do that stuff, that's what you will attract back. And for people who are listening who are sceptical about that, I would say, I don't know what you would say, but I would say, aren't you going to live a happier life believing that anyway? Whether it's true or not, isn't it just a nicer way to be? Isn't it just a more positive way to live your life and believing that? You know, what, what is... What do you gain from being sceptical about that? Like, no, I don't believe that. I'm just going to be a negative person because I don't believe in that. Well, you know, who's the winner there? Who loses there? Do you know what I mean? So I, I think I, I actually do believe that, but I know there's well, a lot. Yeah. Of- I, I, I would, I would, I would say to anyone um, that that, and I get, I know some people are quite sceptical of it, but if you look at my life um, pre and post, and you and and what I've done with my life since I changed my whole outlook. And what my life is today, that was purely based on those making those life choices and those decisions. So, like, I wouldn't be 
we wouldn't be talking to each other now. I'd probably still be sitting in prison with the same people I was with years ago, um, wasting my whole life sitting in a prison cell. But yeah. instead, um, I, 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 I'm a professional athlete. I'm sponsored by Nike. I've traveled all around the world. I've spoken to thousands of children. I've spoken at European Parliament. I've spoken at 10 Downing Street. Like my whole life is completely different because I made those choices and decisions. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to surround myself with positive people that wanted me to grow as a person and live um, a happy life. Yeah. And John, what you said about soap operas as well, I think is so powerful. And it actually, it reminds me of the conversation I had with my mother literally yesterday. Um, so my mum is 79 years old. She she doesn't live far from me, but at the moment, you know, she's in the over 70 category. So um, she's meant to be, you know, keeping herself to herself for 12 weeks. Um, you know, we're not meant to be going around and seeing her and interacting with her unless she really needed help for some reason. And um, it, it is challenging because I would normally go around several times a week and do stuff for mum and give her dinner and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we're finding a way as a family how to manage this whole self-isolation piece because of the virus. But I did say to mum about, you know, when, I, when I'd call her, there'd often be a soap opera on in the background. And I know mum likes to watch them. And I, and I had quite a, I won't say a stern chat yesterday with her. It was a loving chat, but I guess it might have come across as, as quite stern. I said, mum, look, what are you going to do with this time? You know, are you going to, you know, basically just sit there watching soap operas? I understand the temptation to do that, but there are all these videos that, and books that you've got that you want to watch, you want, you know, you can use this mum as an opportunity to really grow, switch off from all the kind of gossip on those soap operas and actually use this for growth. And, you know, I wasn't trying to tell her what to do. I said, mum, it's your choice. You can do, but I said, this is another option that's available to you is you could choose not to do that and use this as an opportunity for growth. And I, I really like that, John, and this idea that, you know, We've got control. We've got a lot of control over the things that come into our heads, whether it's the news, whether it's negativity. And I love what you said. You've not read a tabloid newspaper for ten years. I love, you know, you've been there. You've been to the depths of what a human being might have to experience. Of course, other people have been to different depths. You know, we're not talking about um, a lot of people. And I, I know at the moment, things like domestic abuse and children's abuse. You know, people staying at home is causing a lot of problems in those. Um, a lot of women now are getting abused at home when they could have escaped before to work. And I'm not making light and saying that no one else has experienced anything bad in their life or is not currently. But what I am saying and really why I'm so, so always amazed and fascinated by talking with you is that is this constant message of practical advice and positive advice. And I think we can all learn something from that. I, I hope so. Like I said, like I, I'm, I'm not special. I'm not, um, and I don't think I am. And I, I just, I just, I made choices. I wanted my life to be better, and I, I, I really do believe like people can take positives out of this situation. Um, and I, and I like yourself. I, I totally understand um, how bad some people have got it right now. Um, I'm in daily contact with lots of teachers. Um, people that um, work with really sick children and I know lots of them have been sent home because of the, the, sh the shortages of beds and hospitals. Um, so I, I really do understand that not everyone is, is privileged to, to have sort of the luxuries of life where you're comfortable at home. But I would say to people that are listening to this, all I ask you is ask yourself, what could I do to help those people? What could I do for my next door neighbour? 
what the resources that I've got, can I help someone else? Can I give someone else, make this situation a little bit better for them? And and I think overall, you are going to feel so much better and, and feel like we're all in this together and reaching back and helping lift other people up is so, so important yeah. because there are so many people that have got it so, so bad. Um, and it's how can we help those people get through this? Because we are quite privileged, a lot of us. We're, we're, in, a, we're in very sort of um, affluent situations, living in nice areas where... We, we can look at ourselves and go, can I do more? What am I doing? Martin Luther King said it. The greatest question is, what am I doing for other people? And that is the question now. What are you doing for other people? And by doing that for other people and helping other people, it will make you feel so much better as well. Yeah. No, I love that, John. John, before we wrap up, I did want to touch base. I'm really, I'm really enjoying following you on Instagram. I always have done. And uh, if anyone's listening to this and doesn't follow John on Instagram, please do. It's full of great messages and positivity. Um, but John, you put a post up a few days ago, and I think it was about Nelson Mandela and how much he trained in his prison cell. Why don't you just expand on that? Because again, that is yeah. inspiring for those of us who still need a bit more inspiration and motivation. I think that's really, really going to hit the spot. So, so Nelson Mandela has had quite a profound impact on my life. Um, so hence why, when, so to go back, when, when, I, when I was in the segregation unit, when I was in prison, when I was a teenager, um, a lot of that stemmed back from a young mind that read a book. And in the, in the book about Nelson Mandela, there was a passage where he used to smoke cigarettes when he went to prison. And the prison officers was using the fact that he smoked cigarettes as, as basically something they could take away from him. So they were punishing him by retracting it, the privilege. So he thought, if you're going to try to use that as a way of um, punishing me, I never smoke again. And he stopped smoking cigarettes. Um, so in my mind, as a young man, I thought, if you keep me in this room and you think this is a punishment, I'll take it away from you. So then I never left the room then for the next 365 days because I felt if they thought by putting me in there, it was hurting me. If I took that away from them and I, and I, I then didn't want to leave that room, they had, no, they had nothing over me because that was the worst that they could do to me. So obviously Nelson Mandela played a big part in my incarceration when I was a young man, like the way I dealt with that situation. And um, I put up a post the other day. Um, so when Nelson Mandela was in prison, um, he used to work in the quarry, you know, breaking up rocks to make him into gravel. And four days a week in his cell, he would run for 45 minutes on the spot. Um, because he, because <laughs> he again, it was his routine. The exercise and being active was the big part. So even though he worked in a quarry, breaking up rocks every day to turn them into gravel, he would still go back to his cell four days of that week and run on the spot for forty-five minutes. Because the exercise and the physical activity helped him get through twenty-seven years of being incarcerated. And then you look at what Nelson Mandela come on to do, um, leaving South Africa. Um, becoming one of the greatest world leaders has ever been in humanity. And you just think to yourself, he spent 27 years in those conditions. Imagine the growth that you could potentially do in the short period of time that we're yeah. going to have now. You don't need to go through that massive 27 years of a journey, but it just shows you what can be achieved with mindset yeah. and what you can do with your life. Yeah, I mean, John, I've almost got a tear coming just hearing that. It is so profound. And it makes me think that let's say things change in the UK. And I appreciate there's lessons all over the world at the moment. But let's say that we get that one movement outside a day taken away from us. Let's say, because it, it's a possibility. I hope, I really hope it doesn't happen. But it may happen. 
just let's think back to that Nelson Mandela story in his cell on the spot jogging for 45 minutes a day. I mean, you know, that really shows all of us there is no excuse for us not to be active, you know, apart from the excuses we make in our minds, you know, because that's ultimately what it is all about, isn't it? It's mindset. You know, it's yes. it's how we look at it up here that determines our actions and how, you know, and how we get out of the situation. But but again, with Nelson, it's also, you know, like I said before, it's this is going to make you more resilient for whatever comes in the future. Who knows what the future is going to hold? Uh, let's say you're someone who has lost their job or is finding it very financially difficult at the moment. I feel for you. You know, I really, I think that must be incredibly challenging. But whenever life does return back to normal, or even if it takes a long time for that to happen, the fitter you are, the physically stronger you are, the mentally stronger you are, the more able you are going to be to adapt to that, the more able you're going to be to find a new solution to that. So I think what you're talking about, John, is universal for all of us. And, uh, you know, John, I always feel that when I speak to you, I come out of these conversations a better and a more enlightened person than when I started it. So honestly, I, I really feel this deep connection to the way you put your story across, the, the authenticity, the integrity with which you speak, it really is incredible. Um, I know people are going to love our conversation again, just as much, if not more than the first time round. Um, but John, as you know, it is called Feel Better, Live More, this podcast. I always like to leave people with actionable tips at the end that they can think about applying into their own life immediately. You've already mentioned a lot of them, but I wonder if you could just provide a brief summary at the end for people so they can really, really take something out of this. So I would say my top tips for every single person listening to this podcast right now would be, remember, this isn't going to last forever. Um, don't lose perspective on the situation because there's a lot of people that are in far worse situations than us currently around the world. Keep a routine. Wake up roughly at the same time. Try to do at least 30 minutes a day of physical activity and use this time as productively as you possibly can so when the pause button turns into pressing the play button that you move forth from the situation a much better person and use this time to evaluate your life before the pause button was pressed to look at where you are today and where you want to be in the future. And was you really happy before all of our lives got paused? And if you're not happy, what can you do now to help you leave and lead a better life when we press the play button when that comes in the near future? Yeah, brilliant, John. Really, really great tips. John, thank you so much for your time. I know you are training hard at home, inspiring a lot of people as always. And, um, yeah, look, I have no doubt this will not be the last conversation we had. I know we were planning to do the next one, part two, in prison. <laughs> yeah. uh, so we're going to make that part three. We'll do part three in prison later this year when we can move again, when we can get together. And, uh, yeah, take you. care, mate. Take it easy. Thank you, mate. You take care as well. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye-bye. That concludes today's episode of the podcast. So what did you think? I have to say... Every single time I speak to John, I am struck with his authenticity and his genuine desire to help people. Not once in either this conversation or in my previous conversation, which was episode 91, does he ask anyone to take pity on him. He takes full responsibility for the choices he has made in life, but also has made the conscious decision to completely turn his life around. So which tips are you going to take on board this week? I usually ask you to think about one tip that you can put into practice from each episode. 
But I have to say, John gave so many good ones there that are going to have real value at the moment. Perhaps this week you might choose more than one. I really enjoyed John's final words today, especially the thoughts that this period of isolation is not going to last forever and that we should try our best not to lose perspective. I also want to give a quick shout out to John. On Saturday, the 11th of April, he's actually doing another one of his challenges. He's cycling on an indoor bike from Land's End to John O'Groats to raise money for the Trestle Trust, which helps with food banks. Please do support him and donate. He's trying his best to raise over £5,000 for this worthy cause. You can find the link by going to his bio on his Instagram page or by going to the show notes section for this episode, which is going to be dotsachatterjee.com forward slash 107, where you can also find links to his social media channels, his brilliant book, and other interesting articles about John and his life. Now, do you remember, just as I said at the end of the last episode with Gabal Maté, looking after your health has never been more important than right now. It's not only going to help you in the short term, it's also going to help you be more resilient to the challenges that we all face in the coming weeks and months. I know that for some of us, it's hard to access books these days as shops are shut and Amazon sometimes have longer delivery times than usual. But do not forget about audiobooks. All of my previous books are available in this format. And the stress solution is proving to be a particular favorite with people at the moment. And remember, if you're new to audiobooks, they can be downloaded immediately from providers like Amazon and Audible. Guys, if you did enjoy today's show, please do take 30 seconds to go onto your podcast app and give the show a review. It is so, so important. The more reviews a show has, the more prominence is given to it by providers like Apple. And like many of you, I'm really keen for this positive content to reach as many people as possible. But to do that, I really do need your help. Reviews are going to help. Of course, the good old-fashioned way is simply telling your friends and family about the show or sharing screenshots on your social media channels can really help as well. I do very much appreciate your support. A big thank you to Venata Chatterjee for producing this week's podcast and to Richard Hughes for audio engineering. That is it for today. I hope you have a fabulous week. Make sure you have pressed subscribe and I'll be back very shortly with my latest conversation. Remember, you are the architects of your own health. Making lifestyle changes is always worth it because when you feel better, you live more. I'll see you next time. Oh,